don't yeah, really ready. don't really care because I hit the record button. So you know, <laughs> suck my anyway. <laughs> uh, the best part of doing a podcast is trying out this new mix minus thing that I've got set up so that I can do phone calls and. My buddy Joe is here to help me test it out. So we're going to talk about some dark shit and, um, yeah, and test this shit out. So, yeah, Joe, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. This is sick because, like, I'm at my computer and I can, like, Google shit if I don't know what the fuck I'm I didn't even think about. about that. I mean, like, you have charisma as it is, but, like, oh, you right. and the ability to actually research shit while we do these. I mean, this will be, like, our yeah. third episode together, and I'm sick of the one being the one with all the answers. And I remember in the <laughs> last right. show, I pointed out, you have a fucking phone. You can look this shit up. <laughs> oh, by the way, we should probably introduce the show, speaking of it. This is Red Leg Revolution, a show about community. I'm Comrade Dubs. I'm your host. And this week, we are going to talk about, well, climate change and general but we're going to open up the episode picking up where we left off in our last conversation about climate change and we're going to talk a bit about eco-fascism so yeah let's talk some fash you down for talking about fascism let's bash the fash indeed it's it's the worst f word in my opinion yeah for sure there's lots of bad ones but this one's the worst yes and it's the one that i don't like saying all the time i i wish i lived in a world where i never had used that so you like saying the other one oh uh, all the fucking time (laughs) (laughs) my second favorite one is funk funk yeah (laughs) thank you george clinton uh all the best ones have f u and then some some facet yeah okay so um yeah this is from a script that i wrote quite a while ago and we were planning on getting through it in one episode but we didn't because we both like to talk so i may be a little off on the reading of this script and i well i guess i i could theoretically like actually videotape this because i have an extra phone so maybe next episode i'll start videotaping as i'm doing this shit but anyway yeah so if i kind of roll over stuff that that's why but i'll probably cut it out in editing and you'll never know ha 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 i'm totally fucking with all of you so let's get into it me, 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 me. <laughs> all right <laughs> ecofascism is on the rise oh speaking of i'm not going to define ecofascism we did that in the last episode if you're just now tuning into the show i suggest going back and listening to the first part of this conversation and i apologize that it's not back to back so yeah eco-fascism is on the rise and i think that we all unknowingly enable it i know i've been guilty in the past of espousing views about quote humans are the virus which in turn dehumanizes us all it's a little thing but it still enables eco-fascism and as well as other types of fascism and i've since changed my terminology and way of thinking which is a big part of it it's important to remember that humans are not a virus Humans are humans, viruses are viruses, and they're not the same thing. Now, if we're speaking of economic models that demand exponential growth without consideration for the material needs of the people or the resources wasted, that's a whole different story. But it's the economical philosophy that's the virus, not the people espousing it. It's important mm-hmm. to... Oh, are you, are you just doing the BB King? Mm-hmm, or you got something? Yeah, I'm pro- um, yeah, preach, brother. Okay, preach, okay. Brother. All right, yeah. Feel free to jump in because you're not, you know, when when you're here in studio, I'm like, oh, look, he's clearly body language says I want to say something, but right. I don't have a camera uh-huh. on because I'm already operating, you know, pieces of tech right now. 
I'm learning. <laughs> Yay. All right. <laughs> so it's important to make these distinctions since devaluing human life by calling people diseases is one of the first steps to fascist genocides or any type of genocide. And this show is pretty much against those. I mean, 100%. I think I can take a bold stand and say that I and my team and the people that I work with are firmly against genocides, fascist or not. So, you know, get at me in my DMs if you want. Cancel me. I, I mean, I know it's a controversial take in 2023 America, but... Take that, woke moralist. Right? Fuck you, woke mob. <laughs> Come after me. <laughs> Have you seen that just that Jordan Peterson video? Where he's like talking to the camera and he's take that woke Marlon. Dude, know, he is unhinged. I was that I, is wacko. I literally listened to a like three hour episode of Behind the Bastards about Jordan Peterson today while I was working. I but I can honestly say that I have never seen a single Jordan Peterson like whole video. I've seen clips and stills and stuff, but yeah. I actually had a had a former partner who was uh, used to be a Jordan Peterson fan and since wise changed her thinking like before she met me but still yeah. I was always like hold up <laughs> you're a smart person yeah. how did how did anyway I digress <laughs> you know who uh, I was probably indirectly sponsoring ecofascism I think Jordan Peterson ties in definitely um, Jordan Peterson we, we, we live in a society <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude I only know what he sounds like thanks to uh, Cody Johnston guesting on <laughs> Behind the Bastards. <laughs> I only know about him because, like, when he went through his benzo withdrawal or whatever. Yeah. Keep in mind, this is, like, supposed to be, like, peak alpha male guy for the right. Like, yeah. this guy who's constantly crying and complaining. Uh, and the vibes I got was that he's just constantly in a midlife crisis. Yeah. Like all the time, pretty much. But he, hey, he's constantly just got out of a bad breakup. Like that's his mentality, <laughs> like all the time. Which is funny because I know you know what? No, I do know more about Jordan Peterson. But you know what? We're not here tonight to talk about Jordan B. Peterson. All right, guys, welcome to the Jordan Peterson episode. <laughs> you, you see, global warming is is a total sham, and we need it so that only the survival of the... Thank you very much, Dr. Peterson. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you. You got to do the whole script in Jordan Peterson's <laughs> I don't think I have that in me. Um, so, anyway, next line in the script was going to ads, but uh, we're just starting up because, you know... Yeah, we're nowhere near an ad break, so I'm just going to skip that line. So, screw you, past me, no gods, no masters. So, um, yeah, so, but you got any thoughts about, about eco-fascists or eco-fascism that don't involve Dr. Jordan B. Peterson? Uh, yeah, so from what I've, like, read about this or from what I know about it, um, eco-fascism generally has its roots in eugenics and like uh I, I believe it would be 19th century like racist science you know what mm -hmm. i mean like and uh resources being used up by the lesser people according to like eugenics people you know yeah. things that were used to justify slavery or whatever and um that is kind of like where it stems from and that's manifested in a lot of different ways into like the right incorporating like 
population control, immigration reform, and things like that into their into their politics. And sometimes uh, environmental stuff gets drawn into there. So uh, that's kind of what what I've read. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see. Um, okay, I've got to stop. With the, see, now I'm on it, and I've realized I can do a Jordan Peterson voice. So <laughs> anyway, um, no, those are all some very valid points. Here, I got, I got another thing I can go into. So okay. I did read. I'm go reading something interesting. Apparently, like, one of the guys in the 19th, 20th century, uh, Madison Grant. Have you heard about this guy? Mm, he possibly, was like but a, I don't think so. He's a big eugenics guy, and apparently he helped found, like, Glacier Park, Olympic Park, Everglades National Park, oh. Denali Park. Founded the Bronx Zoo. Jesus. Like, he was the president. Whoa, this uh, sounds like a guy Robert Evans needs to do an episode of Behind the Bastards about. Yeah. So he was like a super racist, but also into like conservation. So and was stuff. Don Muir. And, so uh, I'm really not surprised yeah. that it was really pervasive in the you know, national park movement. I mean, hell, Theodore Roosevelt, you know, founder of our national parks, notorious fucking racist and imperialist. <laughs> but yeah. he did bust the banks. So you know what? It was a more bad than good, but still, he we can at least say that he did something good. Yeah. He he also yeah he did a couple of good things like I mean I got a broken clock is right yeah right. right uh yeah so and I think that it's something that we as Americans I can't remember if we touched on this in the last episode but or if I have it later on in the script but we as an Americans. Yeah you know think of things in such broad terms like oh humans are the virus and we look we're looking around at our own society and thinking that that's the and, joe rogan philosophy yeah and and <laughs> the thing is is you know it, i think that's a very uh ethnocentric view of it it's like you know we are the virus but we're looking at us as the only people who are affecting mm-hmm. anything and it's like whoa, what about, you know, the tribes in Africa that have existed for thousands of years, or the indigenous tribes here in America that, you know, lived with the land, and yeah, they modified the land how they could, you know, could with wildfires yeah. and cultivation, but still, they worked with the land. So um, I think it's really kind of, I don't know, some underlying, like, racism or uh, just, like, America first attitude underpinning that, because we think, okay, and, and I think that they have a slightly valid point talking about yes some of our behaviors as americans specifically are are not healthy (laughs) to consume the waste all that but you know Mm -hmm. the the you know tribe herd or herder out in the you know uh saharan desert (laughs) he's he's not using single-use cups you know he don't give a shit about a straw he got a leather water bag he's been using for his entire life so yeah well how much of that you know the whole because i feel like yeah, you don't have people from certain societies saying that. It's like how much of that is projection of like, uh, you know, like how much of that is a critique of your own lifestyle, your own class, yeah, stance, and like your consumerism or whatever, right? Like right. when you're like an American, say like middle class, upper class person, and you're saying, "Oh, we're the virus, bro." Like, okay, I got my bachelor's degree in philosophy you know and like uh we're the virus we're the problem like you know i'm 12 years old and i'm saying deep shit type stuff yeah like uh how much of that is just like a reflection of your own like 
benefiting off of like the slave labor of the third the global south and just like buying all the products that and reaping the benefits you know what i mean yeah this is why i love having you on because you tend to segue very well into what i have uh written so let's hop back to the script uh so we're gonna wrap up talking about eco-fascism because i'm sick of talking about green nazis the, the threat of eco-fascism permeating our society is why we need to make sure all our efforts at change are inclusive and intersectional. We have to make sure our plans include our comrades throughout the world, that we don't prioritize our own countrymen, and that we remember we're all in this together. Efforts that don't include all that are pretty much damned from the start. The people in the global south, see, are already experiencing the effects of both unfettered capitalism and climate change. To fight climate injustice, we have to make sure our thinking includes those who are already victimized by capitalism. It's global warming, not America warming. Any change to offset these dangers has to consider our comrades in the exploited global south. Any thoughts on that that we didn't cover before I read it? Um... Yeah, I mean, this is literally, like, like, I've always been an internationalist, more of, like, a Trotskyist, I guess I would call myself, in terms of, like, my views, yeah. my, like, socialist, Marxist views. But, I mean, I don't think there's any greater, like, evidence for the need for internationalism than climate-related <laughs> right. issues, right? Like, yeah. climate-related issues doesn't care about national boundaries or mm-hmm. political economies or anything like that, like... It just is what it is, you know? And so... And uh, George R.R. Martin wrote Game of Thrones and the White Walkers were supposed to represent climate change and it was supposed to be a a mild critique on how we all are too busy dealing with bullshit politics when this, you know, massive threat's coming toward us. Slowly, nobody believes in it until suddenly we all believe in it. No, that's actually a really good point that yeah. you bring that up. Well, that's because I'm doing a rewatch. I don't know why I'm getting the later seasons, and now it's just like torture. But it was fun there for a minute. Right. <laughs> Dude, uh, season four up to there, and season four, season four is like one of my favorite seasons yeah. of TV. Oh, yeah. It's so... I mean, it's... You know what? It's... Speaking of... Uh, of of season four this this it's time for a commercial break so i'm gonna say this episode sponsored to you by game of thrones season four (laughs) nothing after i guess we'll take the before stuff because it was pretty good but season four i can give us an outro with like my vocal my (laughs) vocal version of uh reigns of castamere (laughs) i figure we'd just go with the theme (laughs) that's not gonna mix well with my outro music (laughs) all right you want to plug anything any any other particular seasons of tv shows that you want to be the sponsors of this podcast who, me? Yes, you. Uh, bro, what have I been watching? You know what movie, you know what TV show slaps is Last Kingdom. You watch that? Nope. It's like a Viking one. It's oh. like, uh, you ever watch Vikings? It's like the better version of that, I guess. More historically accurate. Okay, so I have to ask before I, I finally cut this recording. You don't think you're a Viking, do you? I know I'm not a bike. <laughs> that is the only good answer. Here's some ads. Okay, cool. <laughs> I just got my hours cut again. How can I pay my bills? Yeah, it sucks, especially since they only pay us minimum wage. But what can we do? Solidarity, man. 
That's right, fellow workers. It is I, Solidarity Man, champion of the working class, and it sounds like you need a union. A union? That's right. What power on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? So a union makes us strong? That's right. Alone, you can do little to change your situation, but together you can move mountains, and the industrial workers of the world are here to help. Huh? The IWW is a union for all workers, no matter the trade, job, or career, and we want to organize your workplace. Wow. Where can we find the IWW? In your hometown. The IWW has branches all over the world. Check out IWW.org to find your local membership board or join as an at-large member and start your own chapter. After all, our greatest superpower is working together. I must go. I hear another exploited worker calling for help. But remember, the working class and the employing class have nothing in common. Away! Deep in the swamps of Florida. Honey, is that a new plant? He dwells, waiting. Where did those seeds come from, honey? Silently. Oh my god, what is that thing? Sending seeds and stickers across the country. Ah! And spreading solidarity. Have you lost your mind, honey? We can't move to a sustainable commune in upstate New York. What's wrong with you lately? There's no stopping him. The mighty skunk ape is on Facebook and he's on a mission. Anarchy! No! Coming to a post office box near you, the Skunk Ape Liberation Union. And we are back and we are talking about how Joe has some very bold stances on Vikings and white supremacy, but the mic If you look at my 23andMe, you'll clearly see I have 14% Scandinavian, and I'm not saying that I'm a Viking, but I think the English in there, too, would indicate <laughs> that somewhere down the line, maybe in the 800 or 900, there was some Viking DNA getting stuck in there. And we don't and need to explain my culture. <laughs> right. We don't need to explore how we got to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, ecofascism. Oh, no, no, no. We're done with ecofascism. Um, I mean, you know, we can always talk more about it. I'm not completely done, but the script is done with it. So we are going to currently talk about, and we actually have touched a little bit on this in the last episode, things, basically what I expect to see locally so yeah. <clears throat> all right so i okay so so it's a society <laughs> god damn it dr peterson get out of my head um, okay so that woke <laughs> Walk, mom you you have to <laughs> the woke mom <laughs> okay I, I i i draw the line at making fun of the man crying um all right so uh yeah we're recording this in the middle of the united states map and the great plains and the heartland and this is what i expect to see if i stay in this area in the next 20 30 years and the world heats up a few more degrees so we did talk about this a little bit uh, in the last episode, I remember, because you were talking about the, the heat sink, heat thing, because of the roads and stuff. So, <clears throat> first off, I wouldn't be surprised if the Kaw River doesn't go through cycles of severe drought coupled with flash floods. The decreased snow melt that feeds the water table west of us and in turn sources the Kaw, along with the erosion brought on by extreme winds and depleted groundwater, is going to sink the water level. 
and when we get the regular Midwest cloud cracking storms, but now on meth, it's going to overburden these streams, creeks, and rivers, creating intermittent flash floods. In turn, this is going to severely damage the ability of the breadbasket of America to live up to that name, as most of our croplands lie in floodplains. We saw exactly this in the flooding a few years ago, when the Missouri River flooded in a bunch of feeder streams. To the Missouri River flooded, particularly in eastern Nebraska, whole fields were flooded, compost, or uh, all the uh, crapped out, um, destroyed crops started composting and then setting on fire. So there were fires in the middle of <laughs> lake or ponds yeah. and fields. Oh. It was, I drove up there shortly after all that happened and it wasn't what was like going on. There was still standing water. You could see the burn mm -hmm. all in the middle of the fields. So, you know, we're, we're in that area, that type area. So we're going to see mm -hmm. a lot of that. Yeah. So I also see the hydroelectric plants on the Kaw, the Bowersock Dam going dark. This is obviously going to affect the already overburdened power grid, but that's just the start. Air conditioning will become a thing of the past. Well, unless you're rich enough to pay the ever-increasing operating fees justified by the crumbling infrastructure due to the changing climate, as well as Black Hills Energy CEO bonuses, or Evergy. I forgot, Evergy does the AC, but I've got... Yeah, and, uh, well, but I've, I've got a $300 gas bill I've got to pay because it's winter when we're recording this. I think it was uh, summer when I wrote it, though. Um, anyway, so the areas closest to the river, such as downtown Lawrence, is going to be ravaged by intermittent flooding, making one of our tourist spots inhospitable. It's going to damage the local economy, killing off a bunch of service jobs in Lawrence, making the pandemic shutdowns look tame in comparison. And since none of these changes will be predictable, the industry won't come back. We'll see an imbalance in local wildlife as well as the weather conditions change. Probably more mosquitoes, probably more vermin in the town proper as their usual natural food sources dry up. We'll see an increase in disease from these varmints which will burden our healthcare system, much like we're still seeing with the coronavirus. I literally, I live like eight blocks from the river and I frequently see coyotes just patrolling the streets if I'm up late. So it's already kind of happening. Looking for cats. Yeah, yeah, because they were good down by the river, but now everything's thrown out of whack. So they're like, I'm going to come eat a kitty, which is why my kitties live inside. I do not yeah. want dead kitties. So it gets worse. That's not all, because, of course, this is all uh, intertwined. They're coming for your cats, people. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yes, the, the coyotes will come for your cats because of global warming, so keep them inside. So if it, the idea that your children or your grandchildren are going to be living in a fiery hellhole wasn't enough, maybe the idea that your cats will be in trouble <laughs> will get you yeah. on board with this. So... Back to the economic things, college admissions will drop as fewer people are financially able to go to a four-year school and as people choose to stay closer to their own communities, and that will further depress the local economy. So much of Lawrence, Kansas' financial structures are based on tourism and the college that, when those are affected, the whole town hurts. Plus, why send your kid to an intermittent floodplain filled with mosquitoes when your own town has all those same amenities without the tuition costs? And that's just a sampling. That's, that's just as much as... I would let myself go for that section because, unfortunately, I'm a pretty good writer with a good imagination, and I could keep myself up at night with that shit. So, any thoughts? No, you brought up some stuff I kind of wanted to bring up. Um, the mosquito thing, people don't think about that, but um, from what I've read, that we're gonna mosquitoes are going to be a much bigger issues as it gets hotter with the urban island effect, especially in Kansas City. 
Um, and that's why like things like the streetcar are good and important. Like we, we need to like improve public transportation so that we can reform like all these free state and interstate and roads and all this concrete that eats up all this heat. Like we, we gotta do our, what we can to get rid of that. So supporting stuff like the streetcar is important. Um, and then I know Missouri is not like a big wildfire state, but I have read yeah. like the risk for wildfires gonna say, yeah. is going to grow. <laughs> yeah. You guys have a bigger, well, I mean, I guess a wildfire is a wildfire, but you guys have a lot more forest fire to worry about. We just tend to have to worry about grass fires around here. And those are mm-hmm. slightly easier to contain from what I understand. Cause you know, there's not yeah. a bunch of trees in the way. <laughs> so yeah. And then obviously flooding is like a huge thing. Like, so that's another issue. I know that like this spring I lived out in Pleasant Hill went this last spring and um, the creek out there flooded real bad when mm-hmm. we just got torrents of rain. And then another thing I wanted to bring up was like the inaction of the government, the like increasingly uh, neoliberal institution that is our government and like corporations that run it yeah uh for example like i don't know if you've seen like atomic home front or heard about like the nuclear waste facility in st louis that's like at risk of killing a bunch of people (laughs) no i I haven't heard about it but i didn't i'm not at all surprised by that (laughs) i'm not yeah there's lots of stuff like that in Missouri because during the war and after the war, like we were a hotbed for Manhattan project stuff and all this crazy stuff. And so like, that's another thing, like less and less money and issues. Like that was something the Obama administration promised to fix, but they didn't fix it. The EPA, like getting defunded. So it's like the problems are getting worse and the funding is, is, you know, less and less. So it's going to be up to like people to like to fix the problems and as well as like hold government and accountable oh yeah we will we will definitely be getting to that in fact this whole script you know the hour or so we did last time and the half hour or so we've done so far is all leading up to how we can help because it's not all just retweeting Greta Thunberg and making small penis jokes um, anyway, yeah. I digress. I did a whole episode about that. I don't need to rehash it. So, <laughs> but yeah, you, you made some, some good points and we are totally going to get into that. Uh, in fact, I, oh yeah, we're gonna, yeah, yeah. We're actually getting into it. So, uh, yeah. Can I, can I ask you a, qu- a quick question before we go to the next thing? Yeah. Go I want to get your thoughts on like, Ted Kaczynski and the Unabomber, because like he's an eco-fascist, okay, right? Okay. Or he, okay. My thoughts. Like a, my thoughts on the on Uncle Ted are between me and my FBI agent, and nowhere oh, on the sure. record. <laughs> you know, Joe. Sometimes I wonder if you don't just exist to try to provoke me into incriminating myself. And my friend, oh, I don't oh, need goodness. any help with that. <laughs> Like, take it. Maybe take it because it's getting so bad. I mean, look, look. All I'm saying is, dude, a stop clock is right, you know, a couple times a day. Let's let's, let's leave it at that. Uh, He's one of the few guys where I'm like, I like his methods. I don't like his reasoning. Right. Um, Actually, let's take another quick break, and I will split up the commercials and not have such a long break, mainly because I seriously need to go grab a drink. So... 
Um, yeah, we're going to take a break. We will be back. And if you don't like that listener, fuck you. Fuck you, bitch. Yeah, here's ads. Hey, capitalism sucks, but Revolution Records, Kansas City's old school record and bookstore, is part of my community. When I'm in Kansas City and need a book or a copy of a local band's album, I go to Revolution Records. Revolution has a great selection of posters, books, records, tapes, and zines. Plus, they repair music and sound gear. That's pretty dope. Most importantly, Revolution Records is part of the community beyond being a small business. The staff does a great job maintaining an inclusive, accepting, and respectful atmosphere, and they also are active in making Kansas City a better place. Community fundraisers, workshops, events, and meetings all have taken place at Revolution Records, and that's just the stuff I was involved in. So the next time you need a new record to spin or your speaker breaks, go check out Revolution Records, located 1830 Locust Street, Kansas City, Missouri, or at Revolution Records. And we're back. I got a glass of water and everything is okay. If it had been about, I don't know, five minutes more, I would have been more taking a longer break so I can go smoke a cigarette. All right. Can I say something funny that I read about? So I was looking at like eco pasture stuff and I got it. I got to plug this in. Okay. So the National Democratic Party of Germany. A German nationalist far-right party has recently supported the Green move- Movement. Um, they've published a magazine, Umwelt and Aktiv, that ma- masquerades as a garden and nature publication, but intertwines garden tips with racial slurs. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so it's it's uh, uh, better homes and... Uh, genociding or like yeah home and garden but with racism that's pretty awesome <laughs> well you know there are certain parts of the uh, American southern region who would eat that shit right up well except yeah. that when they found out they had to do their own work in the fields but I'm gonna stop right there right. before I make anything I'm, or make a joke that I might get cancelled about so all right. Germany's always coming up with creative ways to like be racist and stuff. well they have to because yeah. they actually had some sort of reckoning about their fascist background so now the fascists yeah. have to come up with they have to innovate in America we're just like nah I keep doing it the same way but always been doing it but yeah. All right, so yeah, hope. That's kind of what we're getting into, and um, so we're going to talk a bit about that. So my community where I live in, I'm really lucky. Most of us already have a grip on community. We have a lot of community resources available already, and I just see us building on that. That isn't to say that the town I live in is perfect. It is far from a leftist utopia. We have a lot of center liberals. We have a lot of NIMBY motherfuckers. We have a lot of corrupt politicians and developers, and so we definitely have our issues, but there's a pretty good foundation of more left-leaning Democrats and actual leftists, anarchists. We have a couple of really great organizations doing community stuff, so we'll just be expanding on that, and that's what I encourage everybody in their communities to do. When the power goes off, I see my comrades getting together, building a solar rig, and offering opportunity for the community to recharge their phones or cool off. I see my community figuring out water filtration and offering water refills to anyone who needs it. I see my homies planting food plots in parks, corners, and basically anywhere food will grow, and I see them offering the produce to the community. When it becomes more apparent that these that the police are only here to protect the rich, I see us forming unarmed community defense escalation. 
app, Defense De-Escalation Squads. I actually didn't tongue-tie myself. That's a typo, <clears throat> but I digress. <laughs> and I see less violence and crime in the streets. I see my friends and neighbors uh, all reclaim houses as we reclaim properties that sit vacant because no one can pay the rent anymore. I see communities building dual power through solidarity, direct action, and mutual aid. In short, I see good things growing out of the bad. I see a phoenix. So, any thoughts before I go on with this? I mean, that sounds a lot better than what I was just going to say, which is like environmental terrorism at this point. Well, but... alleged. Alleged environmental terrorism. Alleged environmental terrorism. <laughs> that's, that, that's the conversations that we need to have off mic. <laughs> Listeners, get MIDM. You know, I think it would be really interesting to look, to, to do research into, into like the history of that, just to like know what like strategies were and like how they worked out. As well as, like, I think of, like, the, what comes to mind, I mean, maybe not locally, but in recent uh, history is, like, the Standing Rock thing. Yes. And, like, how how things like that manifest and how, like, that can be implemented in a local community and what kind of, like, organized uh, group can, is capable of doing something like that. So I'm I'm actually glad you brought up that subject because I don't have it in this script, but that is something that totally ties in, and I've got some got some time to fill before I hit the end of the script. So let's talk about Standing Rock because there's a whole lot of things at play there. First off, the reason I feel like it's vital we bring it up right now is that when we think of all the emissions that it took to build that pipeline, to drill out the oil to move the oil, to refine the oil, to burn the oil, that type of thing is directly increasing the global temperature, right? And Standing Rock happened under a Democrat president and mm -hmm. was violently enforced on tribal land. And we see, <clears throat> even though Biden was, you know, wishy-washy, was like, yeah, climate change is a problem. He approved, like, two or three new pipelines. So... Also, he was like, I'm going to... I'm not going to stop fracking. Yeah, exactly. So, and then you had this group of indigenous people going through their land. Uh, I believe, I know that's the uh, the Sioux. I don't remember which particular. I think tribe. it was Iguala, but I could be wrong. I think so. Um, but thing is, is I've read so much about particularly Sioux history that I get the tribes and where they, what reservation they ended up at completely yeah. confused because there was a lot of shuffling but yeah they were defending their land but they also were acutely aware it wasn't just a ancestral historical battle where they just didn't want the white man to take their land and that was part of it but it was more of an element that they feel that kinship with the earth and realize that like this isn't good for any of us y'all like we need to stop this because it is a bad thing and one of the hashtags they were using to raise awareness was black snake killer and i'm like yeah. that's I've, I've got a book of indigenous myths that i read from periodically and you know that's a pretty uh that's like a mystical connotation you know and i right. thought that was really cool you know that they're willing to to step up beyond their own self-interest and be like no we're going to be out here getting frozen and you know 10 degree temperatures and we're getting sprayed with fire hoses and you know hit by buses and shit like that so 
it's when we talk about decolonization, that's a whole nother and a whole nother show and land back and stuff. This is definitely the type of thing, or really I was talking about earlier about making sure that our climate activism is intersectional because clearly when it comes, because that happened, when it comes to resistance to eco-fascism or to the conditions of global warming, that's really what we ought to be looking toward. I mean, even if they didn't succeed in their goals, it still was able to draw enough attention. Like, I I hesitate to get too big into the whole propaganda of the deed idea because that's not only a popular thought in leftist ideology, but also in fascist yeah. ideology. So, but sometimes we we need propaganda of the deed, which actually leads me right back into the script. So, so in short, I see good things growing out of the bad. I see a phoenix. So let's talk about phoenixes. Not the capital of Arizona. Read Skate Park, represent. That's where I learned how to skateboard. It was in Mesa, right. Arizona, which is a suburb of Phoenix. Uh, anyway, so we're going to talk about the mythological bird. And you will see why by the time I get done reading the script. Because, yeah. Okay, so quote from Britannica.com. In ancient Egypt and in classical antiquity, a fabulous bird associated with the worship of the sun... The Egyptian phoenix was said to be as large as an eagle with brilliant scarlet and gold plumage and a melodious cry. Only one phoenix existed at any time, and it was very long-lived. No ancient authority gave it a lifespan of less than 500 years. As as its end approached, the phoenix fashioned a nest of aromatic bows and spices, set it on fire, and was consumed in the flames. From the pyre miraculously sprang a new phoenix. End quote. But C-dubs, why the fuck are you talking about a mythological bird? This isn't history. You might be asking at your podcast app, and I might remind you, I can't hear you. It's not a phone, yo. Well, I mean, it's, it is a phone, but you're not on the phone app, and I wouldn't answer my phone anyway. And if I would answer, I would, and I would be like, yo, I bring it up because it is history, the history of my town. And if, you're, if you would be patient, you would fucking see what point I was getting. So calm your tits, okay? So, <laughs> so the town of Lawrence identifies with the phoenix. It's our town bird. And as all things around here, it harkens back to the bleeding Kansas era. We talked a bit about this in my very first episode regarding the name of the show, and I'm going to touch on it frequently because so much of what we're fighting now is similar to what we were fighting then. Anyway, <laughs> you've heard of William Quantrill's raid on Kansas, haven't you? Here we go. Okay. Right back to it. Okay, so, so what do you know about that? Uh, yeah, it's when they burned Lawrence down, right? Yep. So yeah. here's uh, what they say at Kansasopedia, which is the Wikipedia for the state Kansas of Kansas. Yeah, I'm pretty sure every state has one. Um, oh, and God. it's ran by, like, historical societies and shit. It's actually fascinating because there's all sorts of things that, like, I come across in my local history research that yeah. aren't important enough to get a Wikipedia entry. But in Kansas, yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, we know we know Coronado's Hill. Like, we'll totally tell you what that is. So Wait, what the fuck is Coronado's Hill? Coronado's Hill is a point in, like, central Kansas where Hernando Cor- or Coronado, I forget his first name, but the conquistador. Was he the conquistador? He was that uh, made the trek up through Mexico. He actually made it all the way right. into the middle of the United States. Coronado's Hill in his, on his quest for the city of Covira. And Coronado's Hill is like this hill that stands out in the plains out in the southwest. 
And it's theoretically where Coronado was like, you know what? This is fucking bullshit. I'm going back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he got the Kansas. He's like, fuck it. I'm out. <laughs> right? Well, he got well into Kansas before he did that. So yes, from Kansasopedia, where you can also learn about Coronado's Hill, about uh, Quantrill's raid. Quote. A band of about 300 men arrived in Lawrence at daybreak on August 21st, 1863. By noon, the raiders had destroyed more than 200 homes and businesses and left 150 men dead or dying. Larkin Skaggs was the only one of Quantrill's band who was killed. On his body were found a coin purse and money belonging to 19-year-old John Spear. Spear and his brother Robert were among the Lawrence residents killed in the attack. H.M. Simpson, a Lawrence banker, described the experience in a letter dated September 7th, 1863. Judge Carpenter was pursued all over his house and finally shot repeatedly while in his wife's arms, Simpson wrote. They raised Mrs. Mrs. Sargent's arm in order to make a fatal shot at her husband. Mrs. Fitch was not allowed to pull her off her husband. Uh, Mrs. Fitch was not allowed to pull her husband's body out of the burning house, but was compelled to stand by and see the corpse consumed. Men were repeatedly shot with children and even babies in their embrace. End quote. <clears throat> so, William Quinn. Oh. Huh, yeah, right. There's a reason we hate fucking Missouri. <laughs> so William Quantrill is a bloody murdering bastard, but did you know that was the second time that Lawrence got raided? Did you? I didn't. Are you, no, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wait. I, you know, I think I did. I think I did, actually. I we talked was... about this a billion times when I went to Mizzou. <laughs> well, I mean, they always spun it to make oh, us look like the good guys. Oh, of course they did. I actually picked up a book at the library like six months ago that was about Quantrill's raid and I picked it up and I read literally three sentences in and was like, oh, this is Missouri propaganda <laughs> to yeah, get right yeah. back. Um, so the first time that Lawrence got raided, also because of slavery, um, also from Kansasopedia where you can learn about Coronado's Hill. You see, you see, Coronado's Hill and myths and legends are, are very, very important. <laughs> okay, so quote, May 21, <laughs> May 21, 1856, troops marched into Lawrence with the United States flag and one promoting Southern rights. They attacked the free state newspaper Herald of Freedom, which had been highly critical of the pro-slavery government, destroying the presses and throwing the type into the Kansas River. They fired on the free state hotel, which still stands today, with cannonballs, and then gutted the building with gunpowder and flame. They attacked the Kansas free state newspaper, looted and vandalized other businesses, and burned Robinson's house, Charles Robinson. The troops claimed that they were executing the law. One man died during the violence, a pro-slavery man who was killed with falling debris. When John Brown Jr. heard about the attack, he gathered the men of the Pottawatomie Rifles. They arrived too late to help Lawrence. The Pottawatomie Rifles took the revenge several days later during the Pottawatomie Massacre on May 24, 1856. End quote. So, the slavers really liked to burn down Lawrence. It's, it was their thing. It was their brand. So yeah, that's a big hobby. Yeah, and that's a big reason we say, you know, Lawrence, Kansas, keeping the rest of Kansas safe from Missouri since 1854. <laughs> so, uh, which I shared a variation of that on Facebook, and it was very fun to watch my Missouri friends be like, hey, you guys suck. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you guys do too. And then we decided that, like, hey, Missouri's got, you know, legal weed as of tomorrow, but. Yeah, it's February 6th, baby, is when, is when you can go to the store and buy it. Yeah, I'm going to have to allegedly make a road trip. But, hey, we've got reproductive rights on this side of the state line. So, kind of a wash, oh, yeah. just saying. So, anyway. Get the best of both worlds. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so Lawrence got burnt down twice, and both times it rose up from the ashes and came back stronger, like a phoenix, which is why the phoenix is the symbol of Lawrence. And that's also how I'm tying this together. I told you to fucking be patient. There it is. <laughs> we will see our way of life be torched again, this time by climate change driven by our capitalist slavers and not by their actual torches, but it will happen. Our world will burn. But out of those ashes, we will rise again. Yeah. That was really good. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm a very talented writer when I want to be. Like, I really want to write speeches for one of my friends. I would run for office myself, but I would never get elected. Uh, plus, I don't have that much faith in the system. So that's it. That's the that's the episode. Um, yeah. I got I got one more thing to bring oh, up. Feel free. And I've still got a few lines to read out, so we got time. It, it kind of pertains to all this, and it's very contemporary. Apparently, this happened uh, last week, it looks like. Um, so there's this guy, Emmanuel Esteban Paez Tehran, um, who was protesting against, uh, um, I guess they were dropping down a forest and he like was out there protesting and he got shot by a Georgia state trooper and it looks like he died. And so that's just something I wanted to talk about. Cause we were talking about standing rock and then you went and gave your spiel Yeah, and, uh, I don't, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, it's important to, like, remember there's, like, people out there fighting for yeah. this stuff. Yeah, literally and putting like, the skin in the game and putting, like, again, it's it's so easy for us as Westerners to get into this false fallacy of all we have to do is retweet this petition and go vote and all that. And I've talked about it before about the perils of being, you know, just a voter. And there are people out there who are literally getting killed for this type of stuff. Yeah. And whether it's, you know, our activists here doing stuff like that, or if it's, you know, the activists, we will never even hear about their struggle in Africa because they're going to open another, you know, rubber plant or whatever who are equally fighting the good fight. This isn't something... Basically, I think we as a society don't view it with the the proper lens and and I'm tired, I'm blanking the words that I want to use, but respect, really. Like, this is a battle. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we need to, like, you know, all grab our guns and go do things that could be construed as felon as felonies. Definitely, for legal purposes, not advising that. But it, if we viewed it, like, if we were at war with, like, say, World War II, right? During World War II, most Americans viewed that, as the primary like driving force behind what was going on in society, you know, cause you couldn't get away right. from it. You had your ration coupons, you couldn't get gas. Total war economy. Yeah. Exactly. And then, you know, you, there's no young men, they're all off dying overseas. So it was so in your face that you couldn't ignore the fact that this is a big risk. We all have to sacrifice. We're all doing victory gardens and eating less and working overtime and giving away our union rights and all sorts of stuff to help the war effort. And then we come to something like climate change and it's after years of deceptive advertising and marketing and propaganda from the people causing it, you know, people don't realize the dire straits we're in. I mean, most people don't even really acknowledge that we are not waiting for the effects of climate change. They're already happening. Yeah. We're just waiting for them to get worse. Right. 
Uh, yeah, and I mean, it seems like such a simple thing to reorient your society around, even if, and that's why it was important to talk about ecofascism. even if you're like a right-wing conservative, like, this is an issue you can solidify your power with. Oh, like, yeah. So to me, it's just, it's, it's just mind-bogglingly amazing how short-sighted and like, it's it's just another perfect example of how based on like short term profit motive like capitalism truly is. Yeah. And uh, it 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 will literally sacrifice anything and everything for for growth. And even if that means like your company failing mm-hmm. in 10 years from now. As right. long as your company makes more profits next quarter, that's literally all that matters right and it's it's always bothered me that whole mentality of capitalism because you know you could do 100 percent better than you did last year but as long as you didn't do better than last quarter then it doesn't matter how well your company is doing and it literally that type of mentality is that use it or you know that consumer mentality that underpines capitalism is also what's causing a lot of our I, I hesitate to say a lot, actually, because we all know the biggest who the biggest polluters are who are driving yeah. climate change. Because us as consumers, we only have we have some control, obviously, uh, but also there's a lot of privilege involved in that. Like I know how bad climate change is as a problem. I know that the emission from my car causes that problem. I still take jobs that are you know outside of my town because I have to eat, and that's right. where yeah. So. And I think that that's another one of the insidious things that the propaganda campaigns have done, even up till recently, talking about how we need to focus on our effect, which we do. But ultimately, unless we change these systems that allow for the thought that endless growth is okay and that the imperial mechanisms that we have in order to enforce that are necessary. I mean, the U.S. Army is one of the biggest polluters documented and... So we could just, like, stop funding the army and start putting that into climate change. And just by stop funding the army so much, that alone yeah. would help climate change, let alone what all the money could possibly buy. Yeah. And I think what's frustrating for me is, mm-hmm. like, when you look around for resources, organizations to put your time and effort into, right? Mm-hmm. It, it seems like no matter what you do, there's only like volunteer positions a couple hours a week because a none of these organizations like have the funds or where or anything like that to oh, yeah. like support people working for them. Right. Yeah. To be like, um, you still have to, in that case, you have to have your own job and you can't com- really commit time or mm-hmm. effort into it. And like, that's not how like things like defeating climate change specifically, like through, and defeating capitalism are, are that's not how you win these things. Yes. Like if history has shown us anything, these are things that take like very, very organized, uh, like militant organizations yes. with who develop all their time, effort, energy, logistics. I think into good, defeating. Uh, I think a good analog to that point you're making is when you look at how the Civil War was finally brought about. I mean, you know, you had abolition efforts. First off, you had, you know, slaves 
actively working toward their own liberation since they literally were first brought over. Shout out to the homies on the Amistad. But then yeah. you had, you know, 75 years, because there were abolitionists when the United States was founded. They just weren't very numerous. Mm -hmm. And some of them were, like you're saying, part-timers. You know, they had other stuff. And then you had people who... Uh, made it their their main thing and again i'm really tired because i mean i'm kind of pissed that i'm not remembering but like frederick Douglass, once he escaped um lovejoy i forget his his first name um john brown and these people yeah. were people who realized that they needed to make the mission the number one thing and have faith the community would would sustain them and that's kind of like what we yeah. see in a strike it's the same principle you know people are more willing to take a stand and put their asses at risk if they know their material needs are going to be met by the community and we really need to kind of like get that energy together so that if somebody wanted to commit a felony which i do not recommend they know that their family was taken care of by the community you know why they were in Leavenworth, yeah. which is why you shouldn't commit any felonies or at least any that you could potentially link back to me i don't do anything illegal <laughs> i'm not I, yeah. I yeah listen to podcasts no, i think you're right i think i think there is no lack of people who share in wanting what we want right yeah but i think the problem is there's no effective instrument to to put any of that passion or like willingness to like sacrifice your life if need be yeah or you know any your finance you know like on the line like because they've all been stripped away and like we came into a situation where uh we're on the tail end of like neoliberal re reform and um austerity and things like that yeah and I know growing up like 9-11 and in the aftermath of all of that, what's happened since then, it's like, and I think a lot of people put their faith in Bernie, you know, during yeah. the Bernie campaign. Yep. And when that waned out, like uh, people weren't used to losing, you know right. what I mean? And yeah. the the entire history of like the left in America has been a losing effort, you yeah. know, like to be right. honest. And it's you got in my in my view like you it's because obviously we're taking on the strongest power in world history yeah but also it's just not militant enough you know what i mean yeah and that's not to say we need to go out and fucking bomb you know oil companies or anything like that but i mean well, militant doesn't you necessarily mean violent. Works. Like, it is often used as used interchangeably, but I think in this context, we aren't even necessarily saying violent. We're saying militant, that same military dedication to the cause, to the, the purpose, right. to realizing this needs to permeate every aspect of our life and not just how can I change it, you know, how can I right. make these big companies change it, again, short of doing any felonies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think doing realizing that um, the place, the institutions you grow up in, school, church, none of these places are addressing it. Oh yeah, and that's part of a big part of the reason of why, or the workplace, obviously, it's a big part of the reason why there is no militant movement. You know, yeah, and it's like, how do you even? It, it makes you feel like a small fish in a big pond. 
Yeah, and well, for me, it it makes me kind of like start to wax philosophically, politically, philosophically, because I'm like, you know, I wonder when you look at like the activism of people, particularly in the Middle East or European countries where they do have an ability to enact some change through their grassroots efforts. And then I look at America and our failure to do so. I, well, our, I won't want to, I don't want to say failure because we have gotten a lot of gains, you know, through direct action, mass group stuff, but we haven't gotten as far as we would like to be. And I wonder, is that because of how this country was founded with the puritanical principles and the genocides and the slavery, or is it because we're a new country? Are Americans inherently different? Is it just because the conditions were different here? Because, you know, Europe and the Middle East and Asia all colonized each other not to the degree we do colonization, but, you know, there's been war since everything. So everybody kind of had a spot by, you know, yeah. 1,000 AD. Uh, and meanwhile, we just came in across the pond and kicked all the people off the spot. And we're like, this is our spot now. Like, that's not something that, I mean, Africa had the same similar experience, but Africa is also so fucking huge. And that, yeah. that's a whole nother can. I do not know enough about African history. I, I should probably read a book or two. <laughs> I took a, yeah, I took a couple classes in college that were interesting. Talked about pan-Africanism and, like, the com- communist uh, movements there. Yeah. And, yeah, it's so I just wonder, you know, personally I tend to think it's because of the, the founding culture that we yeah. had. Because that's what allowed the things like the genocide and the slavery. <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's a book about, it's about St. Louis and its role in, in American empire. It's really good. It's by this Harvard professor named, uh, I forget his name, but the book's called Broken Heart of America. And in it, he talks about how, when it comes down to it, America has always, what it represents is uh, private land, like endless private property for whoever wants it and is willing to kill or enslave yes. whoever they need to, to, to attain it. Yep. So really at the, like, I mean, that's what this country is built on. And they talked about this on Chapo a lot where like, uh, one of the guys on there, um, anytime there's been any kind of class conflict or issues along those lines in this country, they've always been alleviated by the promise of, you know, go West there's yes. land out there. Yes. Get the fuck away. You're not our problem anymore. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And that finally reached its breaking point and there was depression and then World War II happened. And then it turned out, well, now, you know, you don't need endless land. Now we have the whole world is our marketplace, yeah. essentially. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like we and if it's not our marketplace, then we will invade it and make it our marketplace we will uh, so, pardon, pardon we will liberate it and we will bring them freedom okay because god right. bless america pretty much so yeah. we've never really had to to like i mean obviously we've had those issues like race being the most obvious like yeah. class division here right like the people who weren't granted that opportunity, but even, but now that they are in a way, you know, that's what identity politics is all about Yeah, is now you can be a part of this thing that's been our identity for 300 some odd years, right. you know, right at the and end that's a when it's all petering way. Of, 
What? Right at the end when it's all petering out. Now we'll finally let you all on the bus. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, that's an effective way of doing it, to oh, be yeah. honest. Oh, yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons that, you know, the left has not succeeded too much in this country because we've institutionalized fucking everything up from the inside and you know we have reasons to be paranoid of one one another looking at american history but you know it is well i'm not gonna lie i think the left is also soft in the u.s like well i mean i i don't know i also think it's american. i also very much agree with that but that is a conversation for a, another day and probably off mic <laughs> yeah for sure yeah. But yeah, we're we're almost at an hour, so I should probably like wrap this shit up because I think people okay. only mind listening to my voice for an hour or so, which is their loss. <laughs> I get to listen to it all day. So, all right, because you kids listened so well, I got something special for you. <clears throat> okay, and 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 that's it. That's that's the episode. I I hope it left a better taste in your mouth than than at the beginning. We're we're kind of it's fucked. gotten worse as the episode's going on. I know. We're we're, <laughs> we're 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 kind of fucked, but only as far as we as we fuck ourselves. Um, do you do you, do you have any <laughs> thoughts there, Joe? <laughs> what fucks? Is that what we're saying? Whatever. Uh, you got any thoughts? Thoughts, plugs, whatever. Uh, no, you know, I feel like I spilled my heart out enough already today, so I'm good. Okay, well, I'm not going to hold you to the fact that I told you next time I had you on, you better have a plug bowl just because you brought up Game of Thrones Season 4. So that that is acceptable. Uh, I'm, I'm, freelan I'm freelancing, so hit me up on Upwork if you need uh, content. There you go. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah. seriously, that's 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 a plug. I, I support it. Yeah, hit Joe yeah. up because I don't freelance my writing. I do it all for me. <laughs> And I yeah. guess for you and all of you, because I love you. So, Aww. speaking of the love I have for my community, I'm C-Dubs. This is Red Leg Revolution, a show about community. You can find us online, uh, Facebook and YouTube at Red Leg Revolution. You can find us at Twitter on Red Leg Pod. There's probably an Instagram or some other social media that I'm horrible about updating. We've also got a Patreon at Red Leg Pod, so check that out. So, remember, as the world's falling down around our ears, help each other out, build good networks, because we're going to need them. Because our only hope is each other. We out of here. Fuck William Quantrill, bushwhacking son of a bitch. Bitches. All right. This has been a production of 419 Media.